Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon and I am back to chat with you about new books. But first, of course, we have an author interview. And this time I'm talking with author Flynn Berry about her latest novel, which is called Northern Spy. When I first picked this up, I was expecting kind of a historical fiction novel set in Ireland, but it is actually the tiniest bit futuristic. So if that sounds intriguing, definitely keep listening for the interview. So I'm going to go right into the housekeeping information, then we will move to the interview, and finally we will dive in to the new book releases. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I'm talking with author Flynn Berry, whose latest novel, which is entitled Northern Spy, was released here in the U.S. on April 6th. Flynn, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Hey, Shannon. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. Can we start out um, with you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to Northern Spy and what they can expect? Sure. So Northern Spy is a psychological thriller. It's about two sisters, Tessa and Marion and their entanglement with the new IRA in modern Belfast. And it's about the IRA in Ireland and the struggle for independence. And it's also about sisterhood and motherhood and spies and informers and the British agency MI5 and the police in Northern Ireland. So what sort of prompted you to tell this particular story? So I wanted to write this book for years, but I was pretty terrified to do it because I'm not from Belfast. I have uh, some Irish family in my background, but I'm not a native. And I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to get the voice right or the political history. And so I was sort of sitting on this idea for a while, but I think I've, I've just always been really drawn to Ireland and I've found it um, incredibly beautiful. And also the history of the troubles has always really fascinated me because you have this very close knit society in which people have done some pretty terrible things while still living alongside their neighbors. And so it seems like the whole 
region is really ripe for fiction because there's a lot of suspicion and uncertainty and fear that's still lingering from the troubles. So, you know, it's interesting because I've read a lot of historical fiction that is set you know, in like 1916 and the whole like Irish struggle for independence back then. But your book is really the first one that I've seen that has addressed sort of the the modern struggle for independence. So there have been a lot of novels set during the Troubles and um, some, there have been quite a few also set in contemporary Northern Ireland. Um, this book was set or is set a few years in the future. So I was thinking about what might happen in Northern Ireland if these tensions aren't sort of uncovered and looked at. And I wanted to write about what would happen with this very um, sort of intense unresolved issue, which is that Ireland is still divided. There's still a border on the island of Ireland. Northern Ireland is still part of the United Kingdom. And some people want that to continue and some people want that to end. And so you still have all of the kind of central conflicts of the troubles are still lingering in the society today. And so I want to look at what might happen in the future, um, given those issues. So I feel a little bit dense as a reader because I read your uh, the audiobook in preparation for this interview. And somehow I just sort of decided in my mind that this was just set like in you know present day like 2019 2020 um I somehow did not realize that you were going for a little bit of a like near future vibe here yeah I'm actually glad that you felt that way though because I purposely kept the timing a little bit vague because I think this story could be told um at in in a number of different years and I wanted it to not feel tied to one particular year or one particular moment in um, politics because I think that also I want to get across a more universal conflict that I think we're all kind of experiencing which is how do you live an ordinary life when there's a sense of threat often or a sense of potential violence um, in places that you thought were safe and, <laughs> and sort of how to continue with that. So I, I didn't want to feel too rooted in the specifics, if that makes sense. It does make sense, actually. So as you were writing this, kind of, did you have a, like a time frame in your mind as you crafted it? Like how far in the future are you thinking like that this is set technically? Yeah. So I, I had it set maybe, you know, 2022 2023 and the uh -huh. really surreal thing is that um the week that the book came out Belfast has uh sort of ignited into rioting over these issues over the fact that with Brexit there will be checks um for oh. coming over from Britain and it's sort of uh kicked off all of these all of these tensions and you have kids basically um some as young as 12 or 13, throwing petrol bombs. A bus was hijacked and set on fire. Uh, I think about 70 police officers have been injured in the rioting. Um, and it seems like we're at this really important turning point where things could get a lot worse or they could get so much better. And um, everyone's trying to sort of figure out how to steer 
this situation to safety. I feel like what you just said can speak pretty much to society as a whole, you know, as we're kind of watching the world struggle with a global pandemic, like you kind of feel like, wow, you know, things could either descend into just like a huge pit of, of so much worse than what we have now, mm-hmm. or they could vastly improve. And you sort of hope for, you know, the, the vastly improved part, but I guess you never really know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was talking about that with my mom because I was saying how jealous I feel that she was raising her children in a time when it seemed like things were likely to sort of continue rolling along or get better. And now this moment in history and for a while now, it's felt like we're just constantly having this sense of um, threat and it's, it's hard to sort of go about your ordinary life being aware of everything that's going on around you um, and those kind of changing threat levels that we're all experiencing. And I would imagine, you know, when we're talking about something like, like bombings and, and hijackings, you know, that's a, I'm guessing a different feel altogether from some of what, at least what I, as a white woman experience here in the U S like, I don't necessarily worry that when I step out my door, you know, I might be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I worry that I might get COVID. <laughs> so I, you know, try very hard not to um, step outside my door all that much these days, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing it's a, it's a different level of fear when you're talking about, you know, the, the bus that you're riding might be set on fire. Yeah. And it's interesting because it got so normalized in Northern Ireland. I was talking just the other day with a woman who I interviewed for the book, who was saying that she remembered being at Castle Court, this shopping center, and an announcement came on the loudspeaker saying that there was possibly a bomb in the building. And she said, nobody stopped shopping. You know, they were all just used to it. And so used to being in the middle of bomb scares that they just carried on. And then another person I had talked to said, described being in a bar and a, a bomb did go off down the road um, at some distance. And everyone's reaction was just to put their hands over the tops of their pint glasses so that dust from the ceiling wouldn't fall into their drinks. And then they just carried on drinking and talking because it just became what you were living with. Like you were living with the fact that if you were a police officer, you had to look under your car for a device before you started driving in case it had um, been in case a sort of booby trap bomb had been put in your car and um, you know children got used to their school bus routes being changed because of a bomb scare or redirected or school even being canceled and it did seem like Northern Ireland has such a great spirit Um, all the people that I met they're so tough and funny and um, kind of have this great dark sense of humor and they just sort of got on with their lives in the midst of this really unbelievable level of potential uh, for violence. I would suppose in order to live, you know, anything even resembling a normal life, you would have to learn to do that. Um, thinking about it, you know, as I sit here in a nice, safe city apartment, um, you know, that, that feels unimaginable to me. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting too, because it seems like 
it just happened pretty slowly. So people got used to um, hearing stories happening around them. And then the threat just kept growing. And, and um, it, it seemed like it was a survival mechanism and a coping mechanism to just think that that would be something that would happen to somebody else and it wouldn't happen to you. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, and talk with you a bit about your research because you had mentioned doing some interviews. And so I'm curious to know, as someone who is not native to Ireland, what was your research like? What kinds of things did you do to kind of help get the voice down Mm -hmm. the way you wanted it to be? Yeah, so I started off doing a lot of sort of book-based research. I read as much as I could find on the Troubles and the IRA and the history of Ireland and watch documentaries. Um, There's a really great series of Peter Taylor documentaries from the BBC that you can watch online and listen. I listen to a lot of political radio shows and podcasts and um, just kind of became completely obsessed with the research. And then I also went to Belfast and uh, we stayed in a house that became Marion's house in the book off the Lisburn Road in South, South Belfast. And I interviewed um, a counterterrorism detective and former IRA members and journalists and tried to just learn as much as I could. And the great thing was that uh, because people in Belfast in particular somehow are just such wonderful conversationalists. I would show up for an interview thinking that these were busy people. We would have a coffee. It would be maybe 20 minutes. And then we would end up talking for three hours. Um, and I would just be filling notebooks with what they were telling me, uh, which was pretty extraordinary. And then the other part of the research is that I went to the BBC's headquarters because Tessa works at the BBC in Belfast. Ah, Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I got to actually shadow a political reporter and a producer and, you know, eat lunch in the staff canteen and make tea in the staff kitchen and sit in the recording booth while they're taping a live radio show. And that felt just completely wonderful to be stepping into the world of my book so, so fully. That's amazing. I feel like, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to to get that sense of being able to like step right into the thing that you're writing. Mm -hmm. And I love that you were able to do that. Yeah. There's this writer, Louise Dowdy, who has a book um, about novel writing. And she mentions how no matter what you're writing, you can sort of visit your novel. So she said, even if you're writing a book about like dragons, if there's a scene that takes place in a forest, you can go wander around a forest and sort of use that. Or if you're writing a book in Italy and you live in, you know, uh, Indiana, you can still go to an Italian restaurant and sort of like steep yourself in your book, however you can. And I really try to follow that advice and find it one of the best parts about writing. So this is your third novel, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the third one. So what have you learned kind of since your, your first book? Are there things that you've learned that have kind of helped you hone your process over the years or does every book feel completely new? Every book feels new. And I also just have a really just hugely inefficient writing style, which is that (laughs) I write 
hand and I have just like plain printer paper and a ballpoint pen and I write huge long first drafts and then have to type them up and then decide that actually that's not what the book should be and sort of start over from scratch. And <clears throat> I've heard about writers who just sort of sit down and one sentence goes on from the next and they start at the beginning and they end at the end. And my process is just completely different from that and takes a long time to sort of get into what the story is actually supposed to be. And so is there something that feels like more natural to you about writing things out longhand rather than like sitting down at a computer, like taking your laptop to a coffee shop or something like that? Yeah, I think with longhand, it feels more private and more intimate. And it feels ideally, I want it to feel like I'm writing someone else's diary and I'm writing that close to how someone else is thinking. And it, that feels easier to do longhand for some reason. Um, <clears throat> I also listen to like the same kind of music while I'm working on one book um, and try to sort of create that atmosphere for myself in whatever place I'm in. So do you try to write like every day or do you have a different structure? <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so I, I try to write every day when I'm working on something and I try to keep that sense of sort of urgency going, even if for various reasons I can only work for, you know, half an hour. I, the good thing about novels is that you can always do something. You can research something or you can write a little bit of dialogue or a description of a landscape. And you can feel like you're still sort of pushing the ball forward. Um, but I do also have two tiny children. And so at the moment, it's um, much more complicated to find that kind of time to work. Um, I wrote this book, Northern Spy, partly when my older son was a baby and I would work in his naps. And that felt kind of like a strange freedom too, because I knew that I only had as long as he was napping to work. And so I would just focus really intensely for that period. Oh my gosh. So like, what if you were in the middle of like a really tense scene and then he woke up? <laughs> yeah, I know. there's, um, I'm not sure if you read the author Maggie O'Farrell who wrote Hamnet and a bunch of other wonderful books. Yes. She, yeah. She said that the question she gets asked more than anything is how do you write with kids? Because she has three children. And she describes that moment where you know, it's starting off slowly and then you're finally feeling like you've got something and you're in full flow. And then you see, you know, a toddler come into the room and say like, hi mama. Um, <laughs> and it is, it can be really hard to switch gears uh, and just completely shut that part off. But she has a good point, which is that the book will still be there tomorrow and that the tiny person needs you right now. Um, and so I think it's, it's trying, I think the hardest part about writing in general is just having faith that it'll work and that you can keep doing it and um, something will come together. And having kids means you can't be too precious about it too. You know, you have to be able to sort of switch gears and, and come back in. And then the other thing Maggie O'Farrell has said, which I love is that a lot of writing happens when you're not actually at your desk and that you can be, you know, like pushing a swing at the playground and something will sort of drop into place. Um, and so I hope, I hope that that's the case too. That would be very good. Be very good. So are you much of a reader, either like while you're writing a book or between books? Yeah, I do. I read constantly. And I'm always sort of surprised when writers say that they don't read other people while they're working on a book because 
that would just be such a loss. I think, I mean, I love reading so much. I can't imagine um, stepping away from it for as long as it takes to write a book. So I usually read a couple things at once. Um, if I really love something, I try to save it for right before I write. So I'll read a couple pages before I start writing as a kind of treat or to get myself into that mindset. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, I think the writing comes from the reading and I'm definitely a reader first. My partner is one of those people who can read like more than one book at a time. Mm -hmm. And it just like messes with my mind. <laughs> like I have to read something and like be in that space. So when I read Northern Spy, like that was all that I read. Yeah. Until yeah. I was done. I can't like say, okay, I'll read this for a little bit and then I'll step away and I'll read this like other, you know, completely different book. No. Yeah. And I, I can see how it is really fun to let one book just kind of take over. And I definitely do that too. But sometimes if I really love something, I just want to draw it out and we'll sort of, you know, like parcel out how many chapters of it I can read at a time. So have you read anything that you want the world to know about that you're really excited for people to fall in love with? Mm, I have. Um, and it's uh, actually, there are so many that come to mind, but one that comes to mind is the writer Lucy Caldwell, who's from East Belfast and writes about Belfast and also about, um, uh, she lives in London now. She's an extraordinary writer and she has a new book of short stories called Intimacies that is coming out in May here. Oh, uh, And she also edited an anthology called Being Various of new Irish and Northern Irish short stories which I absolutely loved. And it showed how um, kind of uh, wonderful and multicolored Irish and Northern Irish writing is, that it's not all the sort of traditional um, voice that we think of maybe when we think of writers from Dublin. I will definitely have to be on the lookout for both of those. So what is coming next for you? So I'm working on a book now that's also a sort of psychological suspense novel uh, set in New England now. So I'm, I'm writing something set in America for the first time. Yes, you have not before because I read um, A Double Life, which is also not set in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's because so many writers I love are from Britain and Ireland that I feel like it's almost like a fictional landscape and I really love saying books there but it's been um interesting to to, to try something new and um it's been fun excellent well we will have to keep an eye out for that one as well and can you let listeners know the best place to find you online yeah uh I have a twitter account and an Instagram, and they're both, um, the Instagram is Flynnberry Author, and the Twitter is my name. And I also have a website that my husband built. Ah, <laughs> uh, websites are very, very helpful things, as yeah. are tech-savvy partners. I know. <laughs> you know, I can get the IT guy at any moment, because he lives in my home. Yes, my partner is the Book Bistro editor, actually, oh. and so <laughs> I can... Yes. Yeah, so I can just be like, well, okay, you know, we did this interview and you can take out like this and this and this parts. And it's just like this sort of like direct line. Yeah. 
That's great. Right to the person. That's great. It works out very nicely. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule, um, your writing and your children and just your sort of everyday life to talk with me a little bit about Northern Spy and your process. Well, thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk about Ireland and about books with you. Yes, books. It's always fantastic to talk about books. I feel like book people are like the best people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it has been fun to meet readers this week. It's been really fun to hear about what other people are reading as well and to just um, connect with them over books. Yes. Okay, new books. My favorite. I love author interviews. I'm always so excited to share them with you. And yet there is nothing like that rush of actually getting to tell you about all of the great books coming out this week. Well, I guess, to be honest, not all. I could never tell you about all of the new books, but I can tell you about a bunch of them. So let's get started. Okay, I'm going to, as always, talk about a few things that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated books of May episode. So I'm starting off with a couple of books that Melissa is excited about. A Trail of Lies. This is Jazz Ramsey, book three by Kylie Logan. So this is a mystery. And the new Jennifer Weiner book is out today, and it's called That Summer. Not to be confused with her 2020 release, which is called Big Summer. So definitely pay attention to that if you're putting this on hold at your local library or browsing your favorite bookseller. I was very, very excited for this next book. This is A Special Place for Women by Laura Hankin. I read an early copy of this, and it is everything that I wanted it to be. Her first book was super good. This one, I think, is even better. Please pick it up. It's kind of a thriller crossed with some women's fiction. I love it so much. Please read it now. And Stacy was looking forward to People We Meet on Vacation, which is a friends to lovers romance by Emily Henry out this week. So those are some books that we've mentioned before. So now let's talk about books that you haven't heard us talk about. I'm going to start out with some historical fiction. Um, If you are a fan of the Tudors, then you might be looking forward to the latest Alison Ware book. This is Catherine Parr. It's Six Tudor Queens, book six. And she is, of course, the last wife of Henry VIII and the only one to outlive him. Again, it's Catherine Parr, Six Tudor Queens, Volume 6, by Alison Ware. This next book has a title that I absolutely love. Um, And even if the book, like the synopsis, didn't make me super happy and excited, I probably would have had to talk about it because I just want to say this title to you. This is Lemons in the Garden of Love by Ames Sheldon. And... This is a dual timeline novel about a woman who learns some um, surprising truths about one of her ancestors. In fact, she learns that she played an integral part 
in making birth control available to the women of the United States. So this is Lemons in the Garden of Love by Ames Sheldon. Edward Rutherford has a new book out this week. This is China. Now, to be very, very transparent, I have never read a Rutherford novel. I look at them, and I look at them again and again, and each time their length intimidates me. I love sprawling historical novels, and yet there's something about his that you know can be like 40 or 50 hours in audio that just... I don't know. I, I can't do it. I really want to. I've heard great things about New York and also about Ruska, which is his novel about Russia. But anyway, this one is China, and it's by Edward Rutherford. We also have Remote Sympathy. This is by Catherine Chigi, and it is a World War II novel about a German woman who moves to a new home that happens to be not too far from a labor camp. And at first, you know, she doesn't want to believe what she's been hearing about what goes on in these camps. But slowly, because of her proximity, she's sort of forced to understand exactly what horrors are transpiring here. This is a novel that's gotten a ton of early buzz. If you are a historical fiction reader, um, pretty much in general, but especially if you are a historical fiction reader of World War II books, you probably want to check this out. It is Remote Sympathy by Catherine Chigi. Okay, I'm switching gears a little bit to talk about a couple of books that are a little bit hard to categorize. Um, excuse me, as my cats chase each other. Um, I, I'm not really sure what's up with that. Anyway, um, these are books that I had a hard time categorizing, and so I've kind of put them here together. First up is The Mothers by Genevieve Gannon, and this is a novel that's based on true stories about um, in vitro fertilization and the mix-ups that can happen in the IVF labs. So kind of the tagline of the book is, what if you gave birth to someone else's child? And it's The Mothers by Genevieve Gannon. We then have We Are Satellites by Sarah Pinsker. You may remember Sarah from her 2019 release, which is A Song for a New Day. She was on the podcast promoting that book. Um, it was kind of a, um, I don't know, like a precognizant book about pandemic life and what life might be like if people were kept from gathering together. She is back in 2021 with We Are Satellites, which is another kind of, I don't know, mix of like daily life intermixed with technology and a little bit of science fiction. It's about these kind of creepy little implants that you can get into your brain that can apparently help you multitask. And we look at how this kind of separates people in the world, and we see it through the lens of one family. I was lucky enough to read an early copy, and I highly recommend it. Sarah is like a visionary writer. Um, I love her so much. This is We Are Satellites by Sarah Pinsker. And this next book that I'm about to talk about um, makes me think of Brooke. 
and of our editor, who is my partner, Christine. This is Dog Days, and it is by Erica Waller. And this is, you know, a fictional story, but it also seems like just a love letter to dogs. And our household um, has recently lost a dog, and so it definitely leaves a void here. Um, My cats, however, do not feel this void as they chase each other around my living room and hiss. So pardon the, the cat squabbling if you hear it in the background. Um, they, they say they're, they're doing just fine. Thank you. Anyway, it, it's a weird thing to lose a dog. Dogs are such a, an integral part of so many of our lives. And this novel is about three people who sort of face the unraveling of their lives with their dogs beside them. And I'm more of a cat person than a dog person, but I have loved several dogs in my time, and I definitely want to read this. So this is Dog Days, and it's by Erica Waller. How about some fantasy? So we have, first up, is Blackwater Sister. This is by Zen Cho. This is an author that I've heard a ton about. So many people love her, and I really want to check out one of her books. And it might just be this one. So Blackwater Sister is a contemporary Malaysian-inspired fantasy, and it features gods and ghosts and family. So it's Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho. And we here at Book Bistro are very big fans of Seanan McGuire, who also writes under the name Mira Grant. And she's back with Angel of the Overpass. This is the third installment in her Ghost Road series. And if you've read her encrypted books, which I absolutely adore, Ghost Road is a little bit of a spin-off of that series because you get to understand some of the more ghostly characters um, in the Price family. So I haven't read this particular series, but I do love Encrypted. So this is Angel of the Overpass, Ghost Roads, Book 3, by Seanan McGuire. And for young adult fantasy fans, of which I am one, we have Illusionary, Hollow Crown, Book 2, by Zoraida Cordova. And I have not read Book 1, which is called Incendiary, although Kristen talked about it last year for um, one of our monthly picks episodes. And I do love um, Cordova's Brooklyn Brujas series that starts with Labyrinth Lost. So I do want to check this one out sometime soon. This is the second installment, and again, it is Illusionary by Zoraida Cordova. All right, I'm going to wrap up with some mysteries here. I'm starting out with Hut with Hush Little Baby. This is by R.H. Heron, um, which is a pseudonym for women's fiction author Rachel Heron. So this asks two questions. How tightly are we bound to our pasts, and how far will a mother go to protect her children? I'm super excited about this. I really loved her 2020 release, which is called Stolen Things. So this is Hush Little Baby by R.H. Heron. This week, we are also lucky enough to get a legal thriller by Stacey Abrams. This is called Wild Justice Sleeps. Abrams is really well known now 
for her political work, but she also used to write romance novels under the pseudonym Selena Montgomery. So this is a legal thriller published under her own name, and I'm really excited to read it. It is While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams. This next book looks right up my alley um, because it kind of reminds me of Sadie by Courtney Summers. It is The Anatomy of Desire, and it's by L.R. Dorn. So this is told kind of as though it were a docu-series. So if you think about the podcast format of Sadie, you will kind of understand how this book is told. I'm guessing this means that it will be perfect as an audiobook. It, of course, is about a missing woman, which so often is the case in mysteries and thrillers, but that is okay. I am definitely here for this type of book, especially with this kind of format. This is The Anatomy of Desire, and it's by L.H. Dorn. I'm wrapping up today with the latest novel from author Jeffrey Deaver. He is releasing what looks to be the final installment in his Coulter Shaw series. This is the final twist, Coulter Shaw book three. Um, Coulter Shaw is this really interesting character who goes around collecting rewards that people post for, I guess, like missing people. Um, I read the first book in this series and I thought it was amazing. The second one I still haven't read, but I really want to. Um, so anyway, it is The Final Twist, Coulter Shaw, book three by Jeffrey Deaver. And that does it for me this week. I hope all of you are staying safe and well. I also want to say a special thank you to all of you who have taken the time, either publicly or privately, to tell me how much you love and appreciate what we do here at Book Bistro. Not only does it sort of stroke my ego a little bit, but for those of you who do it in a review um, on a podcatcher, it also kind of helps us make our, kind of advance our position in the Google algorithms. I know that I say that at the end of each episode, but it means so much to me that people come out and, and talk with me about what the show means to them and how much they love what the women of Book Bistro do. So thank you all so much. There would be no podcast if there weren't people to listen to it. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.